This is The Bittersweet Life, a show for expats, former expats, travel lovers, and people who dream about moving far away someday. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. And today, uh, I have to tell you, Tiffany, that I'm suffering from my third concussion. Ugh. And I was thinking that we should probably start just an internet tally on Facebook or on Twitter or something of how many times can Katie have a head, head injury in uh, however many short periods of years. I'm almost like a football player at this time. Yeah. What is it just? Is it just uh, clumsiness? Or... <laughs> God, I hope not. Well, this time I can blame it as some people on Twitter might have noticed that I was talking about snow in Seattle and how Seattleites don't react well to snow mm. because it never happens here. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a very hilly city. And me and our mutual friend Suzanne, we were out walking around in the snow and uh, there was just, you know, a miscellaneous grate on one of those hills, a very slick grate. Uh, that was covered up by the snow and I just stepped on it and it could have been like a slip and slide. <laughs> you know, I just legs out from under me, head on the pavement. Ouch. Yeah, it wasn't as bad as it could have been, but I didn't see it coming. So you know how when you don't see something coming, you just have a tendency not to catch yourself as well as Uh you might. Ouch. Ouch. To which Suzanne said, oh, yeah, I should have mentioned that that was there. She said, I see somebody fall on that almost every single day (laughs) whenever it's raining. But oh, well. Did you go to the doctor? No, no. Now I'm an old mm. pro at this, so I was monitoring my symptoms <laughs> and like just spent the day yesterday resting. I think I would call this one a minor one, not anywhere close to what happened to me in Rome. Oh, that was bad. I feel so much better today that it seems like I'm going to come out of it without too much brain damage. So that's good. Jeez, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I hope so. As a friend of mine, you're supposed to pay attention to if I stop making any sense or if you say, remember when we did that? And I'm like, what are you talking about? Or you mentioned the president and I'm like, you mean President Clinton or anything <laughs> like that? Then you're supposed to <laughs> let me know that I'm losing touch and should probably go get help. I will be on guard. Yes, but my brain has not faltered to the point where I can't remember what we're talking about today, which is humility. And this was a topic that you brought to the table. So what were you thinking about? Honestly, uh, it was a couple of days ago. I was at work. I was just chatting with my colleague, my one main colleague that I sit right next to, who I chat with a lot. I've talked about her a couple of times on the show. We don't, we don't really see eye to eye. We, we're friendly. We're very friendly with each other. But we just disagree about a lot of things. And we have like these sort of friendly discussions. We were talking and she was some stupid thing. I can't even remember. I mean, I, I actually can remember exactly what it was, but it's so dumb. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> oh, come on. Come on. It's so dumb. I was writing this very short little piece, not, not even an article, just sort of a little review, let's say, of um, an Italian fashion brand. I'm not a fashion writer at all, but whatever. I sometimes have to do things that are a little bit outside of my box, let's say. I went on the website, of course, to see some photos, and it's mostly a women's brand, but they have some menswear. And the menswear was just really ridiculous to me. Like one, I'm just going to give you two examples. One was 
a man's corduroy suit that was covered. The print was very, very large flowers. <laughs> very large. I mean, okay, yes, it was dark. Like the colors were quite dark. It was like black, blue, and dark purple or something. But it was still like these gigantic flowers. And then the other thing was a what I could only describe as a shawl or a stole that or like pashmina type of thing. And the male model had this shawl draped around him like a woman. Mm. And hot. Yeah, exactly. I consider myself to be pretty open minded and you know, I'm definitely think that people should express themselves the way that they want. I'm definitely in favor of rights for transgendered people and all of that. But this was not that. This is like fashion for men, just that I find extremely effeminate. And I just kind of showed it to her to, to sort of be like, oh, look at this. Isn't this horrible? Sort of. And she just didn't agree with me, which is fine. But um, she couldn't understand why I, why I was so, I don't want to say offended, because I wasn't offended by it. I was just I just thought it was ridiculous. I mean, she just gave me this look and basically said, oh, my God, reacting to my reaction. Like I was this incredibly closed minded, bigoted person who, you know, would judge someone based upon what they wear. If that were true, you wouldn't be friends with me, probably. <laughs> uh, we'll just leave that there. Um <laughs> The point is not our little discussion because that's not what I want to talk about today. But the, this is what it was. We often get into little discussions like this where we have sort of differences of opinion and we both think that we're quote unquote right. And the difference, though, is that we speak in Italian together and it doesn't matter how good your Italian is. If it's not your native language, you're never going to be able to make the kind of argument that you can make in your native language and you're always going to come up short and you're always going to, uh, I mean, at least for me, I don't know, maybe other people are better, but <laughs> you know, I'm always like in the middle of a, trying to explain my point of view. And you know, there's a key word that I can't remember how to say, or I can't figure out how to phrase something to really describe what I mean. And I had this thought, it's like sort of popped into my head while I was having this conversation. Of course I didn't, say it to her, but I thought to myself, you know, it takes a lot of humility to, um, this is one of the examples of the kind of humility that it takes to be an expat, because you can never have an argument with someone in, at least in the, you know, in, the, in your foreign language, the way that you could do in your own language. You know, you can't, you just don't have the mastery, at least most people don't have the mastery of the language to sit there and debate something and to sound really intelligent. Well, so do you think that you don't actually come across as intelligent as you are in Italy? Yeah, I do. I do think that. I know that people, at least people who know me, probably know that I am intelligent. <laughs> they take into account the fact that it's not my first language. Mm -hmm. But you still feel like, I can't describe it. You just feel like, you can't, I think we talked about this a long time ago, one of the very earliest episodes, and we talked about how it's very hard to be funny in a foreign language. And if part of your identity is that you're funny, and then you move abroad, and you don't know how to be funny anymore, it's really hard. And I think that the same is true for this sort of being eloquent and 
knowing how to express yourself and feeling like you can have an intelligent discussion and you get to a country and you are sort of, even if you've lived there for 12 years, sometimes you're in a situation where you're just like, uh, um, uh, you know, you can't get out what you're trying to say, or maybe you can get it out, but you can't get it out convincingly or eloquently. Mm -hmm. And to, to willfully put yourself in a situation where you're always going to be sort of, you're going to have a, you know, a handicap in a sense, going into any kind of discussion, you know, I think I'm not trying to pat my own back here. (laughs) I think it, I think it takes a certain amount of humility to do that. And then I started thinking about other ways that an expat would need to be able to be humble or it might humble humility might just be forced upon you when you're an expat situations in which you haven't grown up with the cultural norms of the place that you're living in. So it doesn't even matter if you know the culture very well, it's not the same as having grown up in it. You don't have that cultural background and the blueprint. And so you sometimes can find yourself also in a situation where you aren't with it. If that makes sense, you aren't like, you don't get it. Does that make sense? It reminds me of when I went to Japan mm-hmm. and I just walked into a room. I just walked into a room and everybody burst out laughing. <laughs> And <laughs> that was because I guess it was some sort of special room that I wasn't aware of. And I had walked in with my shoes still on, Oh, which is just an obvious tiny example that could happen to anybody. And, you know, I looked down and I, cause I could tell that they were all looking at my feet and I just looked down and made some gesture like, Oh, what an idiot. Sorry. You know, <laughs> walked back out, took my shoes back off. I mean, that's a kind of an extreme example, but that's sort of along the lines of what you're saying, right? Where you just it's, don't know. It's, it's exactly. You, it's exactly. And you're not an idiot, you know, but you have to, in that situation, you had to sort of be self-deprecating. Right. And you had to say, oh, I'm an idiot, you know, when you're not, because you were made to look like one. And you can't, let's face it, you can't know all of the cultural norms of every single place in the world, you know what I mean? So it's, it's impossible to always be prepared. And there's always going to be situations where you are the odd one out. I don't know if you are, you know, you were just sort of out of the loop. Yeah, you're other. Yeah, you don't. And I mean, I even find this even now, after 12 years, in situations at work or in situations in my in-laws, you know, everyone's talking about something and I just... I don't have the background. I don't know what they're talking about. Does that change how you feel about yourself at all? Um, I don't think it does. I mean, like it could. Uh, I don't feel like it changes the way how I f- that I feel about myself. But I think that it takes a certain amount of humility to be able to, to say, okay, in this situation, in this moment, I'm the sort of idiot of the room. And that's okay because I know I'm not an idiot, but, but I'm going to be seen as one. Yeah. Why do you use the word humility? You don't think that that's that's the right word for the situation? No, I'm just curious. I'm just curious. Um, By implication, it means you're humbling yourself. It means by acknowledging that I'm going to be the idiot in the room because I'm an expat, often more often than I would be if I was at home. That takes a certain attitude of being humble. Yeah. You know the types of people who just, they don't ever challenge themselves like they might be really good at something and so that that's all that's all that they ever do because they never want to look like a beginner at anything does that make sense yeah 
Yeah, they want to succeed. You want to automatically succeed. You don't want to put yourself in a position where you could look stupid, say something stupid, be a failure. And I think that being an expat is the opposite of that. You're like setting yourself up automatically to look stupid, to look like you don't know what's going on, to not understand what people are saying to you, to say something really stupid because every single person who's ever learned a foreign language has said something really stupid. Yeah. <laughs> To have people laugh at you, to have people not understand you, to have people look down on you. And in some cases, for some immigrants, just the fact of where you're from, people are automatically going to look down on you. Yeah. So I think it does take humility to put yourself willingly in that situation and know that you're going to get, I mean, not everyone, there are people out there who are going to recognize you for who you are and for your you know, your true characteristics. But a lot of the time, people are going to just, you know, take you on face value. And to be able to to deal with that and be okay with that and be like, like exactly the way you were. You were at that party. You were totally humble about it. You were like, okay, I'm an idiot. Instead of saying, <laughs> getting all pissed and saying, well, I didn't know. And da, 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 and who cares anyway? What's the big deal about a pair of shoes? You know, someone else could have had that reaction and said you, you had a very humble reaction. Yeah. And I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I see that too, as far as being back in Seattle, because of course, there's a lot of immigrants in Seattle, it's kind of a transient city, there's a lot of refugees here, and there's a lot of a lot of immigrants here. And I do notice that a lot more now where people will just say, I, I don't want to be insulting to any particular group, but like, people will just some people, it's obvious that they look down on the Mexican people who are around here. Mm -hmm. And Seattle's pretty progressive, so I wouldn't say that it's an overwhelming amount. I think Seattleites tend to understand a little bit more, but in that thought being, well, they're just not as smart. <sighs> but that's all language. And when it you is. really break it down, you go, uh, actually, they're the ones that are speaking two different languages. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you know <laughs> we are not. So in that way, you know, who's who's smarter here? <laughs> exactly. No, but I don't think it, people ever look at that. But now, because I've been in a foreign language and been like, here's a pen. And the guy's like, no, a ladder. Uh, I need a ladder. And I'm like, no, here's the pen. I'm giving it to you. Um, <laughs> because I've been in that experience. I would never think that somebody who's like operating the majority of their life in a, in a different language than their own is, I would think automatically that they're way smarter than I am. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Because they've mastered that, or they're trying, and that's pretty incredible. You would hope that people would see it that way, but unfortunately, even though I'm sure people you know, realize they're not stupid, they realize that people are speaking a foreign language, it's, it, there's some kind of mm, subconscious judgment that goes on. And even still, it's, it's a shame. I mean, I see it happen here as well with my interns who come in to work in the office and they usually have extremely limited Italian but you know they're trying and they're young girls who are in college and you know they're giving it their best shot and I think sometimes they come across to the other people in the office as you know and they know they're not stupid mm -hmm. but it doesn't matter it's it's like some kind of um like an automatic judgment call that you make I think I don't know maybe I'm wrong does it come from frustration that you can't be understood, that you have to restate things over and over again, do you think? Could be. Could be. I'm not sure where it comes from, but there's that whole classic, what they used to say, and they probably still say it in the States, you know, oh, he speaks broken English. Right. That expression is just so derogatory to say that someone speaks broken English. 
when the truth is, you know, that's their second language. So like, give them a break. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I have two dictionaries that I love to go to whenever um, I'm doing anything with a word, like the idea of humility, both older. <clears throat> I should have gotten out the modern day one too, but I didn't. Um, one of them's from the 1920s, and it's the Webster Vest Pocket Dictionary. It used to belong to my grandfather. And the other one is from the late 1940s. And so I looked up humility, and I thought it was interesting that in the 1920s version, the definition of humility is lowliness. Mm, interesting. That is interesting. Yeah. And then once we get to the 40s, we amp it up a little bit. And that one is not humidity. Hang on, hang on. Humility, the state or quality of being humble, duh. Yeah. Modesty or self-abasement. Hmm. That seems like a little bit more like the modern day version. But I'm sure that words change meaning along the way, of course. Yeah, isn't that interesting that it would be, be considered lowliness? Or maybe I don't understand what they mean by lowliness. That you're like willing to take yourself down a peg, I guess. Maybe. Well, there's also the word humiliate, you know. Right. It clearly comes from the same word. Do you want me to see what it says about that? Sure. Humiliate. Um, humiliation. We're going to have to go with humiliation. Abasement. Abasement. So there you go. <laughs> abasement versus self-abasement. <laughs> right. You're abasing someone else if you're humiliating someone else. <laughs> right. But if you're humble or if you're doing humility, then you're, you have self-abasement. That's kind of interesting too, isn't it? Mm, yeah. I don't know. Do you think that I was particularly humble on my year overseas or just confused? <laughs> well, I think you should answer that. I mean, were you in situations where you felt like, I mean, I'm sure you were. I don't even have to ask you. I'm sure you found yourself in situations where you were like, wow, I, I'm, you know, everyone around me probably thinks I'm a big idiot right now. Yeah, well, I, I was actually probably more avoidant than anything. Like, I remember the day we did an episode about this. I, I think it was called Blackout, but I can't remember. Although maybe in hindsight, that should have been about my concussions. But that was the <laughs> day when a guy was ringing my doorbell. And rather than try to interact with him I just pretended I wasn't there yeah you told me that uh, I remember this avoidance yeah two seconds later the power to the house gets cut now what <laughs> what am I gonna do <sighs> I can't call anybody mm. uh, so I think I was more avoidant than anything otherwise I can't think of too many times when I was absolutely humble or humiliated because in general I kept to myself like I spent so much of the year in my own head and my own explorations and I'm sure that that is part of avoidance. Maybe that's just what happens to expats in the first year is you're taking it all in and... I think it depends on the person. Yeah, if you're like me and you really don't speak any Italian, then you just avoid situations where you would have to. Well, I think that's why you don't speak Italian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, I remember a moment that I felt humiliated. I was walking along Via del Corso, which of course is a big, busy thoroughfare with lots of shops on it, pedestrian street, you know, lots of people walking around. I kind of bumped into these two young guys and I said, scusi me. Okay, so you can say scusa me, which means excuse me in the informal, or you can say mi scusi, which means excuse me in the formal. And if I'm talking to two guys, I could use the informal even if I don't know them because they're just two young guys. If I'd bumped into like an older lady, I would have used the formal term. 
but I didn't actually use the informal. I mixed the informal with the formal. And I said, scusi me, which doesn't exist. But I said it in such a confident way, like I knew what I was saying. Oh my God, they laughed so hard at me. Scusi me, ha 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 ha, scusi me. <laughs> I felt pretty humiliated that moment. And I wanted to be like, you idiots, you know, you have no idea who you're dealing with right now. I just look like an idiot because I'm a fish out of water. So clearly there's a great quote by Albert Einstein. And he says, everyone is a genius. But if you judge a fish on its ability to climb a tree, it will live its whole life believing that it's stupid. I don't know if that really is that apropos of what we're talking about. But in a sense, you take someone out of their element and they can look pretty stupid, but that doesn't mean that they are. Like if you take a you know science geek and you bring him to the opera and he's like, I have no idea what's going on here. Doesn't mean it's stupid. Right, right, yeah. And vice versa. Yeah, it's sort of like this trip I took to Mexico back when I could speak some Spanish, but I was talking to a bookshop owner and I was struggling so hard to talk to him. And then he asked me, how long have you been here? And I'd only been in Mexico for two days. And I answered two years. <laughs> two years. <laughs> and then he gave me this very puzzled look. And as I'm walking down the street away from the shop, <laughs> thinking, oh, that was a good interaction. I went, wait a minute. <laughs> No wonder you thought I was an idiot. <laughs> oh my God. That's classic. Two years. Wow. And you can barely ask me what you want. But I don't think that you go into an experience living in a different country thinking that humility is something that you're going to have to learn. Well, maybe not the first time. No. The first time you move abroad, probably not. But uh, I think you figure it out pretty fast. Yeah. So I wonder if your ego is different now. Um. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. Do you think yours is? Um, I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) We have a lot to say tonight. I know. I'm like, is my ego different? I mean, I certainly went from, I was, I don't know. I've never been super egotistical, but maybe that's me being egotistical, trying to make myself sound not egotistical. No, I don't think you are. If I can judge you from outside, I don't find you an egotistical person. Well, that's good. (laughs) What would I have to be like for you to judge me as an egotistical person? I'm not going to go there because I'm thinking of someone in my life who's very egotistical, but I don't want to call them out (laughs) (laughs) live on the air. Oh, come on. Now you have to give us an example. You don't have to tell us who it is. I'm just a narcissist. I happen to know. I happen to be the new president of the United States. Oh, well, luckily I don't know him personally. I count myself yeah, right. lucky for that. Yeah, right, right. But there you go. There's an egotistical person. Yeah, so maybe we need to send him over to Italy and he can learn some humility. You know, that's actually an interesting point that you you say that my brother-in-law used to work in television. He used to, well, he still works in television, but he used to work for a very... I don't want to say the name because I don't know if he he said this in confidence or or something, but um, he used to work for a very, very important television personality, extremely famous in the United States, but completely unknown outside of the United States. No one knows who he is. Yes. And he said that he hated to travel abroad. He refused to go abroad because when he went abroad, he was a nobody. Mm, That's interesting. And he he couldn't handle that. Like his ego couldn't handle it. Like not being recognized, not being deferred to constantly, not being fawned over. Mm. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. I mean, that reminds me of something, and I'm sure I mentioned this on the show before, but something 
Derek and I have talked about whenever we contemplate going back overseas. <clears throat> and here we are in Seattle. And um, I'm not a famous person in Seattle, but I've had a lot of jobs where I've encountered a lot of people. And I've also been on the radio, so people recognize my name, which is, you know, the least amount of fame possible. So they'll be like, that name sounds familiar. For some reason, I know that name. And then you're like, yeah, I used to be on the radio. And they're like, that must be what it was. <laughs> so that's the level I'm at here. And Derek and I were talking and I was saying, well, if we move back overseas, it's the same thing that you contemplated when we went the first time was, what would I do? What am I, what am I going to do for a living? And he said, well, before you get all wrapped up in that, don't you remember how great it was to not be known by anybody? Mm. You know, to not have that pressure of feeling like you had a public reputation that you had to protect or defend or live up to. And I think that tells us a little bit more actually about how burdensome Derek might feel about having that kind of public presence. Because I feel like it's not hard for me to live into what I already think is pretty honest to who I am. But he was right to that degree where if you don't have the pressure of the work and the career. I did so much self-exploration during that period of time. So, yeah, I don't know. It, it's interesting to think. I think in that sense, yes, you can, get a, you can divorce yourself from your ego a little bit. Yeah. At least at the beginning when you really, you know, when you don't even know many people and you can like, you know, you used to say, you walk down the street, I don't, you know, nobody knows me here. It's kind of weird. Not only do they not know me, they won't even remember that they saw me. Mm. I mean, it's like that in any city, really, but it it can be a very freeing thing if you don't need to be known. Mm -hmm. Plus, you know, us Sewells, we always uh, try to take each other down a peg, maybe. And I remember <laughs> I remember my father about about the time when I was first in this NPR gig and people were starting to recognize me more and more and more. And he looked over at me once and he goes, you just need to remember you are not a famous person. <laughs> <laughs> but what would he have said to you if you'd become famous? Probably that it still isn't important. Yeah. That what important yeah. is, is what you do with any kind of reputation that you have. And do you work for the good of others, which is a motivating factor for my parents, mm -hmm. would be more important than how do people view who you are mm -hmm. from the outside. So... Anyway, maybe we're a naturally humble folk. <laughs> well, cue, cue the full house moral music. <laughs> All right, everybody, take that to the bank. About? Yeah, totally. <laughs> and I love you, Tiffany. You're a great friend. And I love you too. And we learned so much today. We learned so much today. <laughs> what did we learn? Humility. And that's the important thing. And if you're, you know, if you are planning to move abroad, keep in mind you might come up against that some and if you're living abroad you probably are more humble than you were before i mean i'm just sort of yeah. guessing <laughs> who knows if that's true and i might add because a lot of people who move abroad start independent art projects like travel blogs and travel and writing podcasts <laughs> yeah um <laughs> and there's a certain humility in that because creating independent art is such a long road to figuring out what you're doing and and doing it right and continuously tweaking it and stuff like that. And that is its own humility in itself. Oh my you know? God, yes it is. I'm trying to build something. <laughs> is anybody ever going to like it? I don't know. And if only two people like it, well, is that worth it? Yeah, <laughs> I guess that's worth it. You know, <laughs> it's only, you know, 
24 hours of my life every week you know <laughs> what, what's that word <laughs> in the long run in the long run we've learned something today and that's what's important yes so well it's late where you are very late yeah it's it's late my bed is calling me your bed is calling you and here in seattle it's another dark dark winter day so it might as well be night outside so i'm feeling like i need my afternoon nap well let's go do it yeah we should go do it before we go humility aside <laughs> Um, I was just telling Tiffany before we started recording that in the new year, we're looking at a pretty significant increase in some of our costs to keep this show going. So if you love the show, I know you've heard me ask it plenty of plenty of times, but you know, it is the holiday season. Uh, consider buying your friends, Tiffany and Katie and Aperitivo, so we don't end up in the poorhouse in the coming year. You can do that by going to thebittersweetlife.net and hitting the donate button in the upper right-hand corner. And we will be ever so thankful. And uh, as Tiffany knows, I write, although sometimes it takes a while, a handwritten thank you note to everybody who donates. And that's one of my favorite things to do is to write letters. So not only do you support the show and help me not have a heart attack when I look at the upcoming bills, <laughs> but you might get a letter in the mail. And how often do we get letters in the mail these days? So... I don't know, just putting that out there. And I also want to let you know that uh, we are not abandoning you out there in the world, but we are going to be taking a few weeks off for the holidays and also to um, just tighten up the ship and all these things that I'm talking about, trying to get our house in order, so to speak, for 2017. So if you don't hear from us for a couple weeks, don't worry, we're coming back. Use the opportunity to spread the word about this great show that you love to your friends or maybe write us a review on iTunes and we will be back. I promise that. Um, but I guess, I guess, just in case we aren't back before the holiday, Merry Christmas to all of you who celebrate Christmas. And I hope it's not too lonely overseas because sometimes it is. And Happy Hanukkah too. Happy Hanukkah and Kwanzaa. And for those of you who are celebrating nothing this year, I hope you have a restful few weeks off and a happy new year. Did that sound insincere? I really do hope that you have a happy new year. I think you're just a little bit skeptical about how happy this new year is going to be, in, at least politically speaking. Yeah, the United States is walking down the gauntlet right now. You know, in Italy, the number 17 is unlucky. Oh. The reason it's unlucky is because... The Roman numerals for 17 are the same as, or they look very similar to the abbreviation for the, the word I lived. And I lived being past tense means that you're dead now. Oh. <laughs> so the number 17 is very unlucky here. So. Right. So happy 2017. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have high hopes for this new year because frankly... If you were to do a poll of everybody, 2016 was a pretty hard year. It was very hard for me personally. I know it was extreme. I mean, it's crazy because some really great things happened this year. Really great. But it was hard. It was. And I feel like every single person I've talked to has expressed that. That 2016, while being a big learning year, was a very, very hard year. So perhaps 2017 will be better. I hope so. We'll see. <laughs> I hope so, so much. But until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Join us again. Bye. Thanks for all the ways you support us. Give us a good rating on iTunes, maybe five stars if you like the show. It will help other people discover that we exist. Thank you. You're the best. <laughs>